it's an interesting exercise. Often I went, you know, I'll talk to someone and they come back to me a few weeks later and they're like, I'm so turned on now. Like I'm so turned on to my sense of smell. I feel like I'm living in a whole new world, that there's all of these things around me that I never realized before um, because I'm smelling everything all the time. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I speak with Dawn Goldworm, who is an internationally recognized olfactive expert, which is to say that she is very, very in touch with her sense of smell. She uses this scent to help design fragrances. Oh, I shouldn't say help. She pretty much does it all by herself. Design fragrances uh, for the likes of Lady Gaga, Adidas, American Express, tons and tons and tons of other big, high-profile clients. So she will go over with us what that whole process is like, how you design a scent, and it's much more in-depth than you would think it would be. Um, And she will go over how her synesthesia helps her with do things like that. And uh, and she'll talk about what some of the fun parts of the job are, what some of the not-so-fun parts of the job are. And then we'll talk a little bit about sexy time and uh, and how scent impacts sex and attraction and friendship and relationships and emotion and all that kind of stuff. So without further ado, here is Olfactory Expert. Don, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Of course, it's a pleasure. Yeah, so I would love if you could take us a little bit into your background and how the heck you ended up becoming you and doing what you do for a living. It's such an amazing thing to hear uh, that someone does for a living. It would be like somebody telling you that they're like a professional chocolate taster or something. And it's like, what? You get to do that? Like, that's amazing. Like, how do you, how do you get to do that? I want to do that. You know, like what you do is so fun and so cool, but I assume that not just everyone gets to do that. Like there's this very interesting path I'm sure that got laid out that allowed you to be able to do this. So if you could tell us a little bit about how it all went down. Yeah, sure. It was, um, it was completely by chance. You know, they say, you know, in this industry, in the perfume industry, there's two types of people. There are people that are kind of born into perfumery, like their father, normally their father, because it was male-dominated um, for quite, uh, I guess, for the last century. Um, so you're either born into it because your father was a perfumer, um, or you kind of fell into it. And I'm in the latter group. I kind of fell into it. I um, I had gone to undergraduate at NYU, And by chance, because I was doing lots of fashion internships, like most girls that came to New York, I was very interested in fashion. And I ended up doing an internship at Avon in their fragrance department doing trend forecasting. And when I was there, I didn't actually smell anything, but I became very friendly with the fragrance director at the time who was designing all of the fragrances for Avon globally. And I was only there for a short while, but we had a really nice bond. And then I graduated from NYU and um, I had a degree in art history and business. So I thought I should go on to graduate school at Sotheby's in London in, uh, and do a master's in art business. It seems like a natural continuation of my interests and studies. Mm. But then, you know, when I was when I was in London at Sotheby's, at, this was at the time where the... Um, 
the auction houses were kind of dinosaurs still. They weren't as like cool and modern as they are now. And um, I couldn't really find where I fit. You know, I couldn't really find my niche. And, and I'd still been doing some stuff in fashion, and it wasn't really happening for me. And coincidentally, when I was trying to figure out what my next moves were, when my year was almost up in London, um, this fragrance director at Avon called me and said, hey, we need someone. Are you interested? And I was like, interested in what? And she's like, well, just come on back to New York and, and let's have a chat. So I, I flew back to New York and um, she sent me to a perfumery school to have my nose tested. Now, I got to this perfumery school and I was all excited to be there because I'd never been to a perfume lab. I didn't know what I was in for. I was just excited for a new adventure. And I sat down at the perfumery's directors. This was at IFS, which is um, um, there's a few big perfume schools not big. They take three students a year. So we think of them as big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a few like perfume schools in the world. And this is one of them at IFS. So I was sitting with Ron Winograd, who's the director of the school. And, um, and all of a sudden I realized that he was about to give me a test. And I said, Hey, listen, you know, as a academic, you know, I'm doing air quotes there. I thought I was very much an academic from doing so much school. And, and I very much like to study. I said, listen, I'm not prepared. I haven't studied this. I don't know anything about it. Like, <laughs> That's so great. We, we can't do this right now. I'm not ready. Like, no, like this isn't happening. And he was like, wow, you're really neurotic. Like, chill out. He's like, you either have it or you don't. And I was like, have what? He's like, either you have the innate ability to do this or you don't. I'm like, to do what? And, you know, I really didn't. I was like, so I can smell or I can't. He's like, essentially, yes. So your friend hadn't and- entirely told you why she was sending you there. It, like no, it, it was just like I'm going to send you here, uh, have fun. But it, you didn't really know that this is perchance to get you a job down the line. Like it, now, are you like nervous? Like, damn, if I fail this test, maybe something is going to fall through. I was terrified because one, I either have something that I didn't even know existed, and I have no <laughs> idea what to do with yeah. it afterwards, or I don't have an ability to, that I didn't even know existed again, and. You know, you just told, hey, well, you can't do this. Check that off the list. You know, I was, I was like, either way, I don't see this going well. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and the uh, Ron, um, the perfumery director, was great. He was just like, listen, relax. Let's just do this. Let's just have fun. And I was like, okay. And so essentially he tested my nose, which is testing my olfactive memory. He essentially tested if my olfactive memory was able to catalog um, regurgitate and then build upon what I was learning as I was being tested, um, which was pretty extraordinary. Mm. And, um, and I ended up testing well, you know, at the end of it, he's like, so you can do this. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, do what? I still don't really understand. And he was like, just trust me, start working at Avon. I'm going to train you. I didn't realize at the time how big of a deal that was because, you know, People that want to become or want to work in this field, particularly um, in the area of either being a perfumer or evaluator or a scent director, but being one of the noses, you know, they, um, they apply to be able to train. And I hadn't applied. I was just kind of sent there to be tested. And he said, and I didn't realize at the time how big of a deal it was for him to tell me he was going to train me. I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm it's like sure. it's like you know, it'd be like, like Michael Jordan saying like, "Oh, here, like I'll just teach you how to play basketball or something." And you're just like, "Oh, okay." I mean, I guess Michael Jordan like if you want to do that. Exactly. Like not knowing this world. I was just like, eh, "Maybe." I was like, "I might come into finance." You know, the art world really didn't have it for me. You know, I wasn't I don't know where I fit in fashion. Like, I'm not sure. And he's like, "Just just trust me." 
just trust me and just start working at Avon. We're going to do this. I love that. And Could so you I tell us a little bit about what that test was like? Was if it. you can remember that, or if you know more about the test now that you know you have the profession that you have, like what do they do? Like you were talking about trying to see how much you could remember sense as you're going through a test and stuff. Yeah. So, um, essentially what it is, is so the part of our brain, and so I know, obviously, like you said, more about it now than, uh, than I knew then, but the part of our brain that smells is not connected to the part of our brain that speaks. So that's why often when you smell something or anyone else that has, has a normal nose, let's say, when you smell something, you can tell me it's fresh, which is an indicator that you like it. You can tell me something that's too strong, which is an indicator that you don't like it. Or you can tell me an olfactive memory that you have. But it's rare that you can actually tell me in great detail what you're smelling because your brain doesn't really work that way. And it doesn't need to because your sense of smell isn't built um, um, to be able to function properly um, with access to language. It's more of an intuition. It's a feeling, right? It mm-hmm, protects you mm-hmm. from fear. It helps you procreate. It does all of those things that you don't need language for. Right. And so when I sat down in front of him, he was like, okay, I'm going to give you a blotter, which is a kind of a long stick of paper with, you know, an essential oil on the end. And he goes, you probably won't be able to explain it to me, but tell me if you know what it is and, and try to explain it. So he gives me a blotter and I smell it. And I said, I think I know what it is. I said, okay, tell me what you think it is. I said, I think it's rose. He goes, good, it is rose. Can you try to explain it a little bit? And I said, well, uh, smells floral? Yes. I'm like, smells pink? This was like the first time I realized I had synesthesia, which is a totally different side note. Yes. Oh, I read this Um, about you. I would love to talk about this later for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little bit um, insane. I was like, why am I seeing things? Um, And then... um, and I was like, that's all I got. And he's like, okay, great. It's rose absolute. It's spicy. It's waxy. It's heavy. It's floral. It's green. Great. I was like, all right, cool. So he gives me a few more and we play this game. So it was kind of a game, nerve wracking game, but a game. And then uh, he gives me another one. He says, what about this? I said, well, I'm not sure what it is, but it smells like a mojito. <laughs> you know, classic. I'm like 22. <laughs> smelling <laughs> yeah, of water. Totally. It smells like a mojito. And he was like, yeah, great. He's like, it's mint. He's like, can you explain it to me? I said, well, I can't explain it, but it's making my nose all tingly. He was like, okay, that's great. It's, you know, it's true. It's, it's, um, mint is a green note and, um, it, it does. It, it creates like a tingling sensation, a cooling sensation inside your nose. That's because part of the chemical in mint. He's like, okay. And so a few blotters later, he gives me one and he says, you're not going to know what this is, but try to tell me what you smell. So I smelled it and I said, okay, I smell rose. And he said, yes, you smell rose. What else do you smell? And so in my mind, I put the rose on the side. And I said, I smell mint. He said, good. Rose and mint together equals geranium. So now you know what geranium smells like. And so he started to do this with all of the ingredients I was smelling, the ones I knew and the ones I didn't know. Mm. And so when you start to understand this, you understand that benzyl acetate, which is kind of a green banana note, with endol, which is kind of a, smells like dirty hair, equals jasmine. And then you add... <laughs> Wait, bananas um, and dirty hair is jasmine? Essentially, yeah. That's great. As a chemical solution, yeah. And then you add wintergreen to that and you have elang. And then you add coconut and grape and you have tuberose. So he started doing this to me and watching, like, watching my brain be able to build upon all of these ingredients and create new ingredients, new olfactive memories as I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, which was crazy because I never knew I had the ability to do that. And essentially when he said to me, you can do this, what he was telling me is you have the ability to do this. 
And what he didn't say to me in that moment, and he eventually told me later, was now you just need to train for like the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's like anything else. Like you're able to do this, but actually you can't really do it yet until I teach you how. Yeah. Um, And then I trained for like eight years. That's so. Yeah, that was it. That's so cool. It's um, hearing you say that it, it almost makes me a little bit envious and i don't know if anybody else listening to this will feel the same way but a lot of people nowadays that have white collar jobs you know there's like people change their jobs every like two to three years and i think such a large part of that is that they get bored you know it's like after like two or so years they're like okay well i guess i've kind of seen everything that there is to see at this job i guess i've kind of mastered this already and yet of course that's not really true like you can't have just mastered something in two years but there's this sense of it versus in doing something like what you do it truly is like this lifetime of getting better. Oh yeah. I mean, you, I, I would say, I mean, I'm called an expert now, which in my humble opinion, I would never call myself an expert, but looking at the industry, that's essentially what my, my title would be as an olfactive expert. And I wouldn't have even uttered those words before 10 years. So, I mean, it's, this is a field where you're not even allowed to actually really create or really direct um, until you've had like a good, you know, five years of training in. You might have some good ideas, but I mean, you have to memorize so many ingredients and then you have to understand how those ingredients interact with other ingredients. And then you have to understand extraction methods and, you know, um, you know, as, you know, ingredients are changing, as the palate is changing, how safety is changing, how molecules are being created, you know, what affects people olfactively throughout their entire lives globally until you can really create a scent that's going to, you know, change people's lives in the sense of what I'm doing now, or even with a, with a fine fragrance, which also, or even a deodorant or, you know, a flavor for a soft drink, those all change people's lives in huge fundamental ways that we don't actually think about on a daily basis. So before you can actually do that, the amount of training you have to do is, is pretty intense. So now what do you do? It's a very old school world. You know, now today, like, you know, people are like experts in things after like, you know, a couple months of doing Instagram and you're an Instagram expert or you're a digital expert. This, this is, this is old world. This is, you know, industries like this, there's kind of, I think, um, uh, they're, you know, fading out. Yeah. So (laughs) I love that so much. And it's so like, for lack of a better word, kind of romantic, my wife and I went to Japan and like, Mm it seems like everything is like that in Japan. Like, you know, you're just like an amateur when you've done something for 10 years, you know? And I, you know, like a lot of people have seen the documentary, like Jiro dreams of sushi. Like what you're talking about makes me think of that, like sushi world, you know, where it's like, okay, you've been here for like three years. So we'll let you touch the rice now. And it's like, now you touch the rice for three more years and it's six years. We'll let you touch a piece of fish, but you definitely can't make sushi yet. And there's something really (laughs) cool and nice about that. There's like an actual learning curve for what you do, what were you doing over the course of those years? How like, you know, in the sushi world, it's like, okay, three years, then rice, then three more years, then fish. Like, what are the steps that you're allowed to do along the way while they are not yet allowing you to design fragrances and things? Well, they, they, uh, they allow you to design things. It's just the way they started me off. So the first thing that I did is um, when I started working at Avon, I was doing like bath projects. So they would give me a region. I remember my first project that I what I was really into was India. 
they said, okay, we want to create a bath project with indigenous ingredients from India for that audience specifically, because, you know, Avon is, um, is, um, has key markets that they're very much integrated into in India. It was one of them at the time. And so I did a lot of research on India as I'm training my nose. Um, and I was allowed to make, you know, kind of small formulas with a very large team that was kind of instructing me, and I was learning how to do it. Um, and then when I started working at Cody, they started me on scent strips, which are essentially taking a perfume, you know, those like when you open a magazine, you know, those strips that smell, that are right, kind of like right, sampling right. the perfume on paper. They were allowing me to take the fragrance that someone else had created, and I would smell it against the strip, and I would have to rework it. So I'd have to work with the company to say, you know, I don't smell enough of this ingredient or I don't smell enough of that ingredient. Oh, and because I the paper and the everything match it. Interesting. Are you saying because yeah, like so the paper and learning. the adhesive might change the smell? So you need to try to get the smell accurate again, despite the paper and adhesive exactly. and everything? Exactly. Exactly. And so that's how I learned a lot of what I do. And in, and the learning there is really important. And this was my my first mentor, which was Ron Winograd for the first five years. And I, he's still my mentor today. He's wonderful. But he was really the one that, you know, started me off on this path. You know, what he used to say to me, and I think is really the truth in this world, because the part of our brain that smells is not connected to the part of our brain that speaks, the biggest challenge we have is communication. Right. Everyone has a different language. Mm. And so what I was being able to taught how to do at that time when I was working on sense trips is how do I communicate to someone else what's missing, you know, without having the formula in front of me, because it's not my formula. So, you know, how do I communicate to someone else what they need to do? And then, you know, and then eventually get good at it so I can do it faster and faster and faster because I have hundreds of these sense trips across my desk, you know, with dozens of, of perfumes. Wow, so that's, that's crazy. Well, that's what I did at the beginning anyway. <laughs> now, when you're doing that, how you talking about like hundreds across your desk? Are you using like coffee beans or like some other thing to like clear your nose out from time to time so you're not just getting all these scents like stuck in there? You know, I've often asked everyone in the industry, I've asked this question, who came up with coffee beans? <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, where did that come? Because they're still on every retailer you walk into. You walk into Saks or Macy's and there's coffee beans on the counter. Like, who came up with that? Where did it come (laughs) from? Because it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. And no one has the answer for me. So, no. So, the only thing that you're anosmic to, which means, like, it's kind of like... If you, um, if you're a tennis player and you're practicing and you're just hitting the tennis ball against the wall with your arm, when you stop hitting the tennis ball against the wall, the muscles in your arm are still working, but they're at rest while they're working. Hmm. So your nose is the same way. You're always smelling. Your nose is always working, but the only way to get it to be in that rest position, like your arm, when you're hitting that tennis ball is if you smell yourself, because you are the only smell you're anosmic to. The reason for that is because there's no danger because your sense of smell is a primal sense. So, you know, it it functions on different levels to protect you or to help you procreate, like I said initially. And so you don't have to protect you from yourself. So the only time you can smell yourself is when you're sweating, when your, you know, sweat mixes with bacteria, particularly under your arm, it creates a new odor. You smell yourself. Um, Or if different things are going on into your body that aren't normal, like if you're sick or, you know. Etc. Mm-hmm. Um, if your sense, if your smell changes as a woman when you're pregnant, those types of things you'll recognize. But otherwise, your smell you can't smell. And so, if you smell into the sweater you're wearing, or if you smell your own skin, your nose relaxes, it kind of resets, and then you can continue working. In my case, <laughs> damn, that's so interesting. What what is that term that you were using for when your scent can like reset, or or a, or a smell that you don't notice, or something? 
Anosmic. Yeah, what does that mean? Uh, it just means you can't smell it. Okay. Like your nose isn't recognizing the the, the molecules. Right. So it's so it's, it's as relaxed as it can be. To set off alarms. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Gotcha. So the level that you are at right now, you said, would be basically considered an expert. How many people are at the in the entire world are at the level that you are at? Um, well, I was sitting down with a friend of mine who's a perfumer, and we were trying to estimate um, a couple of years ago how many of them, how many of us there are, um, and we estimated there's probably about 500. Um, now, within those 500, there's a lot of different jobs. So there's um, technical perfumers. Um, there's GC perfumers, which essentially can, you know, tell you what's in a fragrance. They're really good at ingredients and, and reading the machines that help us discover what's in formulas. Hmm. There's creative perfumers, of course. There's evaluators who work between the perfumers and the end client. There are scent directors or perfume directors like myself. Um, and so there's, there's a variety of us that do different things. Um, and we work all together to make the final product. Doing what I do specifically, um, there's not that many of me because with 1229, with the company I have now and, and what, so I ended up years later going back to school and getting my master's in the evening and I wrote a thesis about what the basis of my company is now. So what I actually do now, there's not that many people that do because it's a new industry. Hmm. And so we're kind of, you know, forging ahead with this new idea about how to use perfume um, and use scent to, you know, kind of change the experiences of our lives through brands and through environments. So what I do, there's only a handful of people that do it. That's got to be such a, a weird, interesting feeling, knowing that you're one of the only people that do what you do in the whole world. Um, you know, I have a startup, so I don't really have time to think about that. But now that you say it, does sound pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's cool. Um, so I would love to talk about something you brought up a little bit earlier, which is the synesthesia piece. Um, so for people that don't know what that is, if if you could just give a little bit more of a, like a whole definition of that, and then how that I guess uh, helps you do what you do or, or changes what you do. Yeah, sure. So synesthesia um, for a long time was considered a disease um, by the medical world. Um, and by the art world, of course, it was considered a blessing. It is essentially a cross-wiring in your brain. So you use one sense to understand another. Like some people I've met, when they, um, when they hear music, they can taste it. So they can taste like an A-flat, kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, some people, when they um, put food in their mouth, um, they can see it. You know, like they put, you know, a peach in their mouth and they can see like a whole painting in front of them automatically, um, instinctively. It's not something they cultivate. It's just kind of there. So synesthesia is really interesting. It just uses one sense to understand another. Not like most people, we understand the sense like, you know, let's say you smell coconut. You're like, oh, I smell coconut. But some people, they smell coconut and they can taste it in their mouth. Right. So it's a different way to understand. Um, There's all different types of synesthesia. I have like five different types. Um, which is a little overwhelming when I'm in concerts. <laughs> um, <laughs> <I bet>. so, <laughs> the first type I have is um, color grammatic synesthesia, which essentially means when I look at numbers or letters or when I hear numbers or letters, I see colors. Um, it's not particularly useful outside of uh, my sister and I because we're identical twins and we both have it and it's kind of a fun party trick. You know, like someone can tell we did this with actually my sister's husband when they were first dating. We told him we could do this and he was like, no way. So he told um, 
I forget exactly how it happened. So I think he told um, her a number and he was like, and then she told, and cause they were looking for a certain color. And then I just said the color when they said the number, I don't know. It was like, it was like a game. Wait, you know? wait, wait, wait. Like, that's crazy. So you guys, not only do you have the same form of synesthesia, but the exact colors are associated they, with the exact numbers. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is what happened. That's so incredible. Said, okay, you know, I'm going to tell you a number and you have to she, tell her, like, give her the clue out loud through color and she has to say the number. And so he told her the number and she said to me, she goes, aubergine. And I said, 17. And that was it. Wow. <laughs> and he was like, that's crazy. Yeah. And so, but that's not really useful outside of like, you know, party tricks between the two of us or, <laughs> yeah, or memorizing, sure. you know, in high school, it was really good for memorizing, you know, for tests. Um, because I could be like, I remember like that section was yellow, you know, so if they ask a question, I know where it is in the book because yeah. that section was yellow in my mind. Um, but the other forms of synesthesia I have are, are really beneficial for what I do now. And even when I was an in-house nose at um, Cody and designing, you know, perfumes for celebrities and fashion brands is that um, I smell through color. Um, I hear through color, I touch through color, and I taste through color. And so what that means is that the smelling through color is the important one because if I work with a brand, and the first question I always ask them is, what the co- what's the color of your brand? And they can tell me the color. And through that, I'm able to recreate a scent that smells like that color, not mm-hmm. just for me, but for everyone that experiences that scent. And so that's very important today because we're such a visual or aesthetic culture that you know, the scent match with the color of the brand in terms of their logo or their environments or however they're communicating themselves digitally through their color. And then that extends to texture and shape and, and, and everything else. Mm. Um, we've done global tests. I've done global tests um, in my previous life, I like to say, in um, traditional perfumery, as well as a variety of other um, fragrances that have done this that show that everyone smells the same colors. And so that's when it becomes really interesting. So, you know, um, we work with Valentino, for instance. The smell, the Valentino is red. That's their color. It's a very specific red. Um, and so I was able to design a scent that um, smells red, not just for me, but for everyone that smells it and identifies it with Valentino. That's incredible. So I was watching a, a TEDx talk that you gave. And in that talk, you were mentioning how different cultures and different people around the world have different uh different like emotions sort of attached to different scents you know or different things that you like depending on where you were raised and how you were raised and whatever what do this this color piece that you're talking about then is that you were saying it's universal you mean like truly universal like if you go to somebody in india they're gonna say that that's red and if you go to someone in italy they're gonna say that it's red yeah, it's crazy. It's I don't we don't know exactly why. I think he might have some kind of younging in association, but um, the only reason that it slightly changes is if they have a hedonic preference for it. Meaning that, um, for instance, Germany really German women of a certain generation really like magenta as a color, and so if if we show them a perfume that um, they like, they might slightly skew towards magenta. <laughs> Just right. because they like that color. So, you know, with hedonic, we get a slight skew. But, yeah, it's it's something like, you know, between 95 and 97% accuracy, everyone, regardless of culture or generation, um, um, will uh, pick the same color. That's so incredible. So it's almost like this synesthesia is, like, latent in everyone and just activated in some other people like yourself. Well, what we find is that it's it's not necessarily synesthesia. It's that because of the way the brain works, 
color is um, the closest association to smell. And so they're not seeing, like, I can't give someone a blotter and say to them, what color is this? They won't know. I have to feed it to them. Like, they ha- I have to give them a color chart and say, pick the color that you're smelling right now. Mm. So it's, it's not an, like, synesthesia is kind of an automatic um, association. Um, th- most people don't have it automatically. They have to be fed the information, right. and then they choose. Right. And so why that works is that when you're in a physical environment or a digital environment or an experience with a brand, those colors will be present, and so you'll automatically know whether the scent matches or whether it doesn't. Right. And that's when it becomes important. It's much more simplistic um, for um you know, for most people, but that simplicity allows it to be a seamless experience because if that's not there, then what you smell is different from what you're seeing or experiencing. And then the scent becomes a distraction and it doesn't actually enrich the experience. It um, distracts from it or subtracts from it. Right. And that's what we don't want. Yeah, that makes sense. So I would love to know, just as a side note, like having so many different forms of synesthesia like that for your life, it, does it give you an incredibly good memory or is it almost like doesn't really help it that much because you're just so used to these colors always flying into your head that it's not i don't know like 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 i said that you're just used to it at this point so it doesn't make memories more vivid um it makes my life a little bit overwhelming sometimes (laughs) like my office is entirely white um I tried at one point to get people to wear white and that didn't really work out so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my office is entirely white. My home is entirely white because I see so much color all the time that um, I get really overwhelmed. And, um, and so at the end of the day, um, or even at the beginning of the day, I, um, I prefer to be in environments that aren't sterile. They have a lot of texture. Um, but for me, looking at white is comfortable. I don't have a problem looking at um, nature like, you know, being on the beach or, you know, being in the mountains is fine. Um, but I get overstimulated very easily, um, like concerts, um, uh, crowded um, parts of the city. You know, I live in New York City. So, you know, Times Square or when there's a lot of people in Soho, you know, I, I get overwhelmed um, pretty quickly. Big restaurants, movie theaters, places like that, because I'm, I'm having all the experiences at the same time. And I don't really know how to, um, like, focus on one thing or, yeah, or sure. process all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really make my memories uh, more memorable per se, but it does make them, you know, when I do have memories, they're pretty, um, uh, how would you say, pretty faceted. Yeah. There's more, there's so many anchors to them. Yeah. Um, Um, But I have to say, my best memory is my smell memory. The rest of it is kind of crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's good that you do it. You do that. That makes sense. Um, so let's talk a little about the practice of designing a scent. So you touched on it a little bit earlier about asking people what their, uh, sort of corporate, uh, color is, uh, what sorts of questions, like if you have a client that wants you to design a scent, what sorts of, I I imagine the first step is asking them a lot of questions. Would would that be correct? And then what sorts of questions do you typically like to ask when you're going to design a scent for someone? Yeah, so I um, when I'm designing a scent for a brand, um, I take them through a pretty long, intense process um, that has a lot of questions. Uh, the process is, has, was created essentially so that I can understand the brand through their uh, framework, 
through their eyes, from their point of view, that I don't have any subjective opinion about it. And so the questions are pretty much constructed to understand everything that's already been created for the brand. And that starts with aesthetics. So every part of aesthetics, you know, through color and font and imagery, um, icons, um, et cetera, um, and then any sound that they've created. Um, you know, some brands are very curated when it comes to sound. They might have, you know, advertising on radio or on TV, so you already know their sound. Others just create sounds within spaces they have. Um, and then any touch, you know, there's lots of textures, obviously, that are used within different brands. Car brands, touch is a big part of it. Um, any taste. You know, if we're working with a food brand or a restaurant or a flavor um, and then everything beyond that. So everything that they've already created to engage their client emotionally or otherwise, I need to see and understand all of it. So if it's a hotel, I go and sleep in the hotel and stay in the hotel. If it's a car brand, I go for a drive in the car. I don't drive, so someone else drives me, but you know. Um, if it's a you <laughs> know fashion crazy. brand, uh, <laughs> the fashion brand, I go and I wear the clothes. If it's, you know, a food brand, I spent a week in Australia last year with Breville, which is... Um, which makes kitchen appliances. So I spent a week with all of their teams, you know, half of the day I'd be making desserts with them. The rest of, you know, the second half of the day I'd be learning how to make coffee and smelling all the different coffee beans, you know, and I did this for a week in all their different departments. So I could understand exactly what the point is of the brand and how they're doing it and how they're relating to their consumer. I also do a lot of retail treks. So I see the brand all over the world to see it, how it communicates itself differently, depending on if it's in Tokyo or Brazil or, or, or New York. Um, I do Don, everything this all I sounds so awesome. <laughs> There's a lot of it. Like you have like the best um, life ever. Thanks. I like it. You know, it took me a long time to create it. So, uh, but it's, it's not without its stresses, you know, I mean, when I get a cold, my world kind of falls apart. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine it's gotta be so stressful just to have like a runny nose or something. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, they, I'm not allowed to get sick, so we go through a lot of uh, a lot of strain to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. But yeah, so at the end of this process, you know, the scent kind of just falls out of it. Um, it's just a it's just a natural translation between everything I learned, um, and there's no like I go back to the people I went through the process with. Sometimes they add some people on. I tip, I typically go through it with you know um, the brand team, the CMO, the designers, the creative directors. And then, you know, when I present the scent, they often, they often like ask the CEO to step in and everyone picks the same one because it's just a translation um, between the brand. Yeah. So you will, you will present more than one option and then they pick one. Yeah. I, depending on the brand, I, you know, I'll present, you know, between one and a handful, um, never more than four. And, um, yeah, everybody picks the same one. Have you ever had a a company ask you to, change a scent in some way and is that something you would even do um it's uh no no one's asked me um if if someone asks if someone comes back and asks me to change a scent um then that's on i would say that's probably on me um that i missed something if when i go through the process i feel like there's an inconsistency in branding i tell them Mm, you know yeah. if i feel like something's not lining up or you know a lot of brands will come to us when they're going through a rebranding and so i'll often say to them you know come to me when you're almost done your rebranding because if you come to me in the middle there's too many things that are going to change totally. and I, I can't be in control of that so um when you really know who you are when you're really sure who you are that's when the scent can be created because the scent is the last piece 
You know, it's the core of who you are. So once you've created everything around it so I can get to your core, that's when the scent can be created. Um, so often there is no ask for changes because I'm just, I'm just giving you what you already gave to me. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not translating you. I'm not trying to understand you in a different framework. I'm just using what you gave to me. And what's interesting is when I say that, and I know it's really esoteric and hard to understand, but this process that I go through has nothing to do with smell. I don't ask them one question about smell. It's a branding process. Right. I guess this is what I was mentioning before about the, it's almost like the synesthesia piece or, or something deeper with scent is it's like, it's there with everyone, but it's like sitting in this totally dormant, latent state that they do not have access to. Like, you know, a person like me that I don't have access to on a daily basis. And I can't like it's so interesting to me how you're saying that everyone in the room will pick the same one. And it's when you made it for their brand. And yet if you ask them like, hey, what does your brand smell like beforehand? None of them would have any like none of them could say it, you know, and yet you give it to them and they all pick it. It's it's amazing that there's like that sort of uniformity in the picking. It's like as if there is this this skill or this something deeply embedded inside people's brains and yet they cannot use it until you lead them to it, until you show it to them. Then they're like, oh yeah, there you go. It's right there. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's it's fascinating, I think, how our sense of smell works in that part of our brain because, you know, and I talk about this on the TEDx talk a little bit, our sense of smell is fully developed before we're born. We're already smelling in the womb. We're already developing our taste preferences in the womb. You know, if your mother's eating bacon when you're, you know, uh, six months old in the inside of her, then you will like bacon. Yeah. <laughs> you get out if she had a good experience with it, you know? It's, it's fascinating. And then once you're born, until you're 10 years old, it's really your whole world. Everything you understand is smell. But then after that, and, and during that time, because your sense of smell is so dominant and it's not a, a conscious act, you don't have to put any energy towards it. Once you're starting to learn how to communicate, you never learn how to communicate what you're smelling because it's just so obvious. Yeah. Um, and so once, you know, your sense of sight t- starts to take over, you know, no one's thinking about smells anymore. And they weren't consciously thinking about smells when they were making all of these memories and associations. And so much later in life, you know, when I go through this, I often, you know, pick up those first 10 years. Um, and that's where a lot of the research comes from to be able to create sense that people just automatically know fit. Right. Right. It's like they haven't Mm -hmm. flexed this muscle for a year. I mean, for almost their whole lives. And you're just like asking them for just a moment to like flex it, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's still right there. But every day we still do. They just don't realize it. I mean, you pick your lover, you pick your partner in life based on smell. You decide which food to eat or not to eat based on smell. Everything you do, whether you stand close to someone or if you walk in the other direction or if you feel angry, they say that 75% of our emotions on a daily basis are through smell. We just consciously know it. Wow, that's wild. I would love to, it'd be so interesting to read studies on what happens to people after they lose their sense of smell you know like if something emotionally happens to them or or like just like yeah just hear interviews with people that lost their smell and what life is like well unfortunately and not to you know um put a downturn to the interview um most of the people that lose their sense of smell and i don't know if you actually want to um use this in the interview um they get really depressed and um quite a high percentage of them commit suicide Um, because what happens is that your sense of smell activates the emotional part of your brain. So, you know, every, every sense that you have cataloged in your brain is connected to an emotion, right? And so every time you smell that scent again, that emotion 
kind of comes back to life. And so that's why 75% of the emotions you have through the day, they estimate, are through smell because they just work together. You know, they're like holding yeah. hands at all times. And so when you inhibit the ability to not only create new memories through smell, which is the largest part of your memory is your olfactory memory. So you inhibit the ability to create new memories. You also inhibit the ability to access old memories and old emotions. And so what happens is a lot of people become seriously depressed because they can't, they don't have access to their emotion um, or to that fluctuation of emotion that we have with normal people have that have a healthy sense of smell. And so they get really depressed and uh, it doesn't go very well. It's so interesting. I'm now thinking about this, like, in terms of which uh, sense I would want to lose. And I feel like before this conversation, I would always, uh, I, you know, I would naturally say smell, you know, like, okay, well, I had to lose one, it would be smell. But now I, I would just, as you were saying that, I was kind of like picturing, like, uh, like snuggling my wife, you know, like, like nuzzling my head, like in between like her neck. And it's like, you can smell her skin there of her neck and I can smell her hair. And it's like, it all like comes together. And it's this very, uh, like loving experience. And, and I'm picturing like doing that and having no smell, like, ha- like not smelling her hair and not smelling her skin and just how, uh, like you said, almost like emotionless that would be like, still, I have this emotion for my wife and I'm holding her, but man, I feel like that would be a really stripped experience versus if I was doing that same thing and I just couldn't hear or something, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well yeah. maybe we'll learn sign language or whatever. But like, that uh man that would be tough to like not be able to smell your significant other or you know anything man. well a lot of people say what what happens is when they lose their sense of smell there's a few things they can't smell their partner like you just mentioned that fear they can't smell their children which is a big problem and then they can't smell their environment so if there's a fire they can't smell it right you, know, you smell things before you see them so anything that's happening around you you don't see it. you don't comprehend it as fast as you would have because you're not smelling it. Um, it, it's, it's pretty traumatic. And new studies have come out over the past couple of years that show the first indicator of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or these set of diseases is loss of sense of smell. Wow. How interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, people automatically think, oh, I never use my sense of smell or I hear all the time. I don't have a good sense of smell. And when people say that to me, I say, are you sure? And they said, yep, can't smell anything. You know, my partner, they always refer to their partner. My partner has a great sense of smell. She can smell everything. And she'll always say, oh, can you smell that? And I can never smell it. I'm like, okay, well, do you enjoy eating? And they'll tell me they love to eat. And I said, do you still enjoy being intimate with your partner? Do you still enjoy sex? I said, oh, I love to have sex. I'm like, then your sense of smell is perfectly healthy. (laughs) Because sex and eating are all smell. Yeah. 85% of what we put in our mouth, we're smelling. We're not tasting. And so if you still like to eat, if you still like to have sex, you're good. Yeah. Well, I feel like <laughs> I'm good real. then. I mean, those boxes are checked. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the scent building that you do. So I would have to imagine that, especially now that you have your own business, that you can decide who to get your scents from, right? Like, like you from huge like scent makers, like scent distributors that just make tons of different scents and stuff. And I would have to imagine that there is not uh, like the same way that there's like Coke and Pepsi and both of both Coke and Pepsi make the same beverage. They both make like brown soda drink that's supposed to taste the same. And yet they taste nothing alike, you know, and I would imagine that there's probably like a hundred, a thousand different versions of like sandalwood, a thousand different versions of lavender, a thousand different versions of mint. So how do you decide which one to use and what brand, you know, what companies to partner with and things like that when you are going to be building a scent? That's a very complex answer and question. 
<laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because so there's um there's different layers within the industry. There are raw material suppliers where all the raw materials come from. Those raw material suppliers um, often are um, responsible for um, the fields where a lot of the natural ingredients are based. And it's responsible for, you know, the people that collect the raw materials and extract them in whatever form that would be um, and then process them and, you know, make them into essentially, you know, oils that we use. It's a very long, um, complicated process that I won't go into. Um, and then give them to the fragrance houses. The fragrance houses are where most of the creative technical perfumers live. Um, and... In those fragrance houses, they buy materials from the raw suppliers. They also source their own raw materials, and they create what we call molecules. Um, molecules are synthetic ingredients that have been created for a variety of reasons, some of the simplest being um, so we can have more crayons in our cram box, as we like to say, um, for to recreate the smell of ingredients that are no longer available to us as naturals, um, partly because, you know, there's, let's say, a world crisis like sandalwood, for instance, at one point. We had used all of the sandalwood that we could in India, which was really sad, and so we had to replant sandalwood in Australia. Well, sandalwood trees take 15 years to mature so that we can use them for the perfume industry. So for a while, there was no sandalwood. So we had to create a synthetic sandalwood. Um, and then, you know, molecules are also created. So we're, you know, outside of, you know, creating more colors for our cram box or crayons for our cram box, or um, because we can't get them naturally, they're also done for cost, you know, benefit because right, naturals are extremely expensive. Um, you need 6 million jasmine flowers to make one kilo of jasmine absolute. Um, and so, you know, it's just not a good thing for us just to use all of the natural ingredients in the world. It's just not fair. Right. Um, so we need, we need um, molecules. So they create the molecules as well. And so when I create a scent, depending on who I'm working with, I use different fragrance houses to create different scents. And based on the fragrance house I use, they have different ingredients that they've sourced. Um, or that they specialize in. Like some fragrance houses are really good with certain types of ingredients and some others are good with other types of ingredients. So th the answer is very complex <laughs> where we get them from. Um, but we essentially, or I essentially know which fragrance house does what ingredients really well. And so I'll ask them specifically, hey, you know, you're the master of this ingredient. I need, I want to build it around this ingredient. Let's do it. Let's Interesting. Let's it and do it. And that's just experience um, over your life. Yeah, that's just experience and just being up to date on like what's going on. Um, what's really interesting about that and um, and what I've been working with a lot recently is that, you know, the flavor industry and the fragrance industry are sister industries. They essentially um, are one and the same. So Coca-Cola you brought up is a great example because no one fragrance or no one flavor house has the formula for Coca-Cola. They have their formula. It's very secretive and they spread it across the fragrance houses the flavor houses. And so one flavor house will provide part of the formula. Another flavor house will provide part of the formula and so on. So no one knows what the exact formula is. Mm, that's the way to do amazing. it. Just I like for that. Coke. Yeah. And so, but what I've been doing recently is um, we've created a palette where flavors work with perfumers to create new ingredients. And so when you're a flavorist, 85% of your development process is smell. You don't start tasting until the end. And so all these flavors that we use for food, we're now being able to use them into perf perfume quality oils so that we can use them in air, which is super cool. Mm. And so we don't have to recreate the smell of chocolate anymore. We can actually just use the flavor of chocolate um, in a perfume or a scent. Right, right. 
Now, Which is when kind of fun. we can do the same thing with like bacon. That's so <laughs> Which great. I think is fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Now you mentioned that you know which, uh, like which places seem to have the best versions of different scents. Do the for for more common scents or or you know bulk? I, I don't know things that just like appear everywhere, like lavender, for instance. Um, will mm-hmm. each manufacturer do they just make like oh this is our lavender? Or is it like we have lavender number one, lavender number two, lavender number three, and it's like they themselves have fourteen different lavenders, and then you have to pick which one of their lavenders you want. Sorry, another really complicated answer. (laughs) Essentially, with one ingredient, there's a bunch of different extraction processes you can use for that one ingredient. And there's also a bunch of different locations that probably grow that ingredient. So like rose, which is like a simple ingredient, you would think that, you know, everyone has a version of rose, which they do. Let's say um, you wanted natural rose. You could take natural rose from Turkey. You could take natural rose from... India, you could take natural rose from Bulgaria. You could take natural rose from the south of France. So let's say you decide to pick the south of France. So you take natural rose from the south of France. Do you want a steam distillation version? Do you want a solvent extracted version? Do you want a CO2 extracted version? Do you want enfleurage is one of the oldest techniques? Like there's all different techniques. And depending on which technique that you choose or what's available, it smells different. Right, so it's almost you choosing. Will interact the... different with the rest of the formula. Okay, right. It's super complicated. Damn, that makes um, your job but... really, really, really hard. <laughs> but also super interesting, right? Yeah. So, um, so I can say, oh, I smelled this amazing CO two extraction of rose de Mai, which is rose from the south of France, last year. Does it still smell the same? Because sometimes with natural disasters and with availability ingredients slightly change and say, you know, does it still smell the same? How much does it cost this year? I want to use that one, you know, because I know how it interacts with different ingredients or sometimes it doesn't matter. Like some ingredients are pretty consistent. And then all of a sudden you'll have like a big change in ingredients like patchouli, which everyone thinks smells kind of hippie. You know, whenever you mention patchouli, Mm -hmm. everyone's like, Oh, it smells like the seventies. They have this new extraction method called fractionation for patchouli and it smells nothing like you would imagine. And it's absolutely incredible. And so sometimes something like that will happen and change the industry. And so you want to go to the one person that figured out how to fractionate patchouli and you want that one. And then eventually the rest of the industry will have a version of it anyway. But you know, things like that happen. It keeps it, it keeps it interesting. You know, the colors, the crayons in the box are changing. That's so cool. You know, which, yeah, which is different than other industries because, you know, we constantly have new things to play with. Yeah, definitely. And these new things, like what you were just mentioned with the patchouli, it's not like, oh, that still smells like, you know, 99% the same. You're saying it could end up smelling very, very different depending on the process used. Yeah, totally different. And you're like, all of a sudden you have a new color to play with. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. What would you say is the most fun part about your job? I think today the most fun part about my job is getting to meet with so many different people that I never would have met otherwise. Because of, you know, what we do with working with brands and, and, and translating them into smells is that we work with so many industries. We work with financial institutions, telecommunications companies, um, fashion brands, automobile companies, uh, fitness brands. Um, you know, eventually we would love to work with hospitals and more public spaces. So I get to meet with, you know, brand teams and creative directors and CMOs and CEOs or some of like really cool companies. Um, I just finished designing a scent for what was previously AOL and is now called Oath. 
So if you imagine like the smell of AOL, you're like, really? <laughs> you know, and I got, you know, and, and I worked with the CEO and the CMO to develop a scent for AOL. You know, I did the same thing for Cadillac a few months before. Um, um, what, what does AOL it, do with that scent? Just like pipe it through the building or like what do they plan on doing with it? Well, so we'll scent all of their pop-ups. So right now they have a pop-up in Cannes and we're scenting that. We're scenting their offices. We're creating scented notebooks. We're scenting their brand books. So we're creating an experience through scent across all brand um, touch points. I've never known in my entire life that any that, that this is a thing. Like, to, so is this is this fairly common that big companies will will scent their offices or scent products and things? No, it's, it's new. Okay, it's a new idea. Man, yeah, it's a um, really good idea. Not, so it's it's new, but okay. So it's new in terms of a branding um, a branding exercise, but it's not new if you talk about technical materials like the new car smell. That's right. not a new idea, and it's not really a car smell. It's total. It's fabricated. You know, like the smell of leather. That's not really what leather smells like. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know. So there's there's some things in your life that you kind of take for granted that have industries around them that have created them. But using um, the, uh, I guess, the paradigm of branding and and scent together to create, you know, a more you know enriched emotional experience. That's new, and then creating all of these touch points across all these different platforms is definitely a new application for what you could say is, could be an old idea. Such a smart idea! Like you know, it's like I, I think you mentioned Cadillac that you're working with. Is that what you said? Yeah. So we created a, a scent for Cadillac, and you'll soon smell it when you go into a Cadillac dealership. Oh, yeah, that's the smartest thing because, like you said, uh, up until this point, it's always just been like, oh yeah, I'm you know, new cars they smell great. But if you are a Cadillac dealer, if you're a Mercedes dealer, if you're any, you know, any car dealer, like, why would you want, if you're a Cadillac dealer, why would you want to smell like a Mercedes dealership? Like, you want people to think, oh, this smells like Cadillac, not this smells like new car, you know? Exactly. Um, We work for, and I don't mention them too much and publicly yet, um, but I can say we work for a very large, like a sports brand or sneaker brand, the largest, and um, they definitely don't want to smell like any of their competitors. So you would imagine, I mean, people need to differentiate themselves. And in a space right now, especially a branding space with so much noise and everything being done on a digital platform, you know, there's less experiences. Hopefully we'll go back to that. And I I actually think we will in terms of the future of retail, but people having less outside experiences, less product interaction and more kind of digital space that they're existing in. How do you differentiate yourself? Well, once you have the opportunity to become a tactile or tangible experience with a customer, you know, scent is the easiest and, and most powerful way to do that. Yeah, definitely. So are they making, are they scenting the actual product, like the shoes and other things that they make, or is this just for their stores? For, so we worked with Fendi a couple months ago, and we actually scented um, t-shirts for them. Um, and the t-shirts you can wash like 11 times, and they still smell. Wow. Um, so yeah, we we create a lot of really cool scented product. We pretty much say we can scent anything besides glass and metal, um, and so we scent a lot of the product experience. Some of it, you know, more basic, I guess you could say, through packaging, and some of it, you know, um, cooler through like encapsulation of scent within, you know, a physical product, so that every time you know you touch it or interact with it, you're getting a scent experience. Right. Right. What would you say is the most 
frustrating or difficult part about doing what you do? So, um, sense, like I've mentioned a couple of times now, sense and emotion live in the same part of the brain. So once in a while, you trigger something in someone when you smell with them. And it's something that I'm not in control of. And it's almost something they're not in control of because they don't, they didn't expect to have an emotional reaction to an ingredient or to a smell. And it's almost like they don't know that this behavior, mostly childlike behavior is coming out of them. And so a couple of times working with brands, I've had people yell at me um, out of nowhere. All of a sudden they just start yelling at me or I had someone completely break down in tears. Wow. Um, and that's difficult for me and for them. Um, partly because obviously we're, yes, we've worked together a few times, but we're essentially strangers, you know, so it's embarrassing for them. And then it's difficult for me because I'm on the receiving end of it. Um, and there's nowhere really to go from there, you know, like the relationship doesn't really, you know, after that, you know, um, usually after that point, I don't see them again anyway, because <laughs> the scent is finished, yeah. but, um, it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting outcome, um, for both of us interesting being, you know, when you reflect on it much, much later, but at the time it's, um, it's a little challenging. It doesn't happen often. Um, but when it does happen, it, it's pretty intense and a little scary. That's so wild. Now you're making me think of like the companies sending their shirts or their shoes or whatever out there in the wild and like somebody going in to like try on a pair of shoes and then they just like break down and start crying inside Foot Locker, you know? Yeah. And more happens with me when, um, when I'm working with the brand team, someone in the brand team will kind of have a breakdown. Um, I, I hope it doesn't happen with customers, but I mean, those are sometimes things that you can't control, you know, and, and they're like, they're triggers. I mean, we all have triggers in our daily lives and it's, um, it's just, you know, it's up, up to us to realize that it's a trigger and, you know, it's, um, it's personal. It just and, makes me uh, wonder now yeah. days like when, when, you know, how sometimes you just have a day where you're kind of off, like, either energy wise or happiness wise or whatever. Like I wonder how much of the time if I have like an off day, it's because of something I smelled earlier that day or something, you know? Mm. I mean, I think about that a lot, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, that it's probably a big part of what you're going through emotionally at that stage. And it's something to keep in mind because, and, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get people to have better experiences through smell. And so what I often say to brands is that there are smells around us at all times. What we're doing is giving you the power to control those smells and ultimately control the emotional experience people are having with your brand in your environment. Mm. And so as, on a, in a daily life practice, if you're constantly being triggered and you find yourself being really emotional, you know, consider maybe, maybe there's a lot going on around you smell wise. I mean, the reason that people are so relaxed when they go on holiday is because there's no triggers. You know, in your daily life, you have so many triggers, and most, a lot of them, I believe, are odor triggers. You know, the smells of your homes, the smells of the people around you, the smell of your work environment, the smell of the streets you live on, they're all triggers, constant triggers. When you go on holiday, none of those triggers exist. Mm. You know, odor-wise or sound-wise or aesthetic, I mean, none of them do in any of your senses. And so you're able to have a completely new emotional experience, which often tends to be relaxation. Man, that is um, such a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can, if we're aware enough, we could probably change our daily lives if we have enough awareness and self-control um, just to realize what all those triggers are and maybe have a different perspective. But that's like, 
I don't know. I maybe superhuman powers to do that. I'm not sure. Well, it just makes me think about at the very least, like aromatherapy in your house and getting some sort of diffuser in your office or whatever. You know, it's like maybe trying to the same way that that you were talking about, like with your brands, you try to tell them like, okay, these, you know, your customers are going to be smelling things either way. You might as well have a little bit more control over that. I guess that's what people will be doing with aromatherapy. I assume you know quite a bit about aromatherapy. Any like tips that you could give people in terms of ways that they can manipulate their emotions or their surroundings with aromatherapy? Yeah, totally. Um, so I um, I tend to live in different countries for periods of time, and I always sent my home and all of my family's homes with the same smell, so that anywhere I am in the world, and you know, my home, my sister's home, my brothers, my parents, whatever, I always felt like I was at home. Um, and emotionally that was very important for me and they were generous enough to allow me to do that. But I would say for people, um, people that have one home that, you know, maybe scenting your home consistently in one way will allow you to, when you walk through the door, um, to really feel like you can relax and that you're home and that the triggers of the day are kind of left behind you. Um, the same thing when you sleep. Like if you spray your sheets, it doesn't have to be with lavender or vanilla, but with something that makes you feel calm before you go to sleep, it will trigger in you a relaxation to sleep. Mm. And you can do that almost every night. You can train yourself based on, you know, smell therapy to sleep when you want to. Um, the same thing with babies, you know, and I, and I said this actually in the, in the TEDx talk, you know, if you, if your child is having separation anxiety from you, if you just sleep in a t-shirt and then put it in the child's crib or in the child's bed, they will calm down because they feel like you're still there because they can smell you. You can do the same thing um, when you're traveling. You know, bring something from home that smells like home if you have to be away for long periods of time. Um, you know, for, for lovers in a more romantic way, because, you know, our industry is very romantic. I used to send uh, one of my boyfriend's sweaters so that I knew when he called me, it's because he had worn that sweater and he was thinking about me. Um, <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> so I think, you know, there are lots of ways in our lives that we can use smell to enhance it and, and make it feel more safe and more comfortable and more memorable. Um, it's just kind of paying attention, you yeah. know, to what's around you and how to use those smells. Yeah. So I have a question for you that I've never been able to ask anyone before that, uh, I, I mean, I, I've posed this theory that I have to, you know, like my wife and, and some friends and stuff just when I happen to be thinking about it, but I've never been able to pose this theory to anyone who, uh, is a scent expert like yourself or anything or a scientist or anything like that. So I've always had this theory that if someone smells uh, really, really good to you, that nature basically wants you to have sex with that person that like nature wants you that you guys would have a very like strong and powerful child that like nature is saying okay you should pass your genetics on with this person right here so that's what like because the same people can smell different to different people you know and if someone happens to smell really good to you, that is nature trying to like push you towards that person and make a baby so you can have like the most powerful baby ever. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think that's almost 100% accurate because um, when, and it doesn't, obviously that's not always the case. You can think that someone um, um, that you're not sexually attracted to smells amazing and maybe that's just because they're supposed to be in your life and that together your genetics make you a really strong pair for, you know, 
something intimate that has nothing to do with sex or procreation, but that they should be in your world. I think that, you know, we have different smells that are matched up for different reasons, but on a more primate level, on a more primordial, primordial level, yes, absolutely, which is why, you know, so women go through an ovulation cycle, right? So when women are ovulating, um, they often get a lot more attention from men, right? And men that are genetic matches for them because they're letting off a certain smell that says, hey, I'm available, I'm ready to procreate, I'm here, you know? And they just kind of look like they're glowing. It's like their light's on. Yeah. That happens for about three days out of the month. And then, you know, on the other side of the month, when the women are menstruating, they don't get as much attention, you know, and that's when men are kind of turned off because they can't procreate. They can smell that. They can instinctively smell that. When women go on the pill, they flatten this. They're not ovulating or menstruating. And so it's really hard for people to find a genetic mate. And what often happens is the woman will be on the pill. She'll start dating a man. They'll have a great time. She'll go off the pill after they get married to try to have children, and then they can't, you know, create a child together where they're no longer attracted to one another, particularly the woman's not attracted to the man because all of a sudden she can smell him again and she's not interested in procreating with him. Wow. It's <laughs> a whole other conversation. But yeah, absolutely. Um, not just me, but my industry very much believes that um, smell is very much an indicator of if you're um, a genetic match to procreate. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you, 100%. Okay, cool. Super happy to have that verified. Now I'm going to like brag to everyone that I know that my theory was verified. That's great. Um, so you mentioned, uh, or I shouldn't say, you, you mentioned, we, we've talked a lot about the uh, like sex and love piece. And actually, so yeah, you did mention a little bit about other ways that someone could get brought into your life. Um, I guess, what are other influences that you feel like scent could have on your uh relationships like regardless of like it being sexy time or not i mean i think that you know i'm very uh i'm very particular about smell and so i'm a vegetarian <laughs> and so i can smell when my boyfriend eats meat mm -hmm. <laughs> um i think a lot of women can smell when men eat meat <laughs> um on the flip side i think men can smell when women are menstruating and i think you just I don't know. You have to be nice to each other. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. But um, I think, you know, I believe in the perfume industry. I believe that we're scented from um, head to toe, um, you know, from the shampoo we use to our laundry detergent, to our toothpaste, our shower gel, our floss, our eye cream, um, you know, the, the additional perfume we put on our body lotion, everything about us is completely scented. However, I would also say that, the way you're attracted to someone, what we were just talking about, which is this kind of natural, you know, pheromones or natural smell is how you know you're a genetic match. You know, you also have to let that shine through a little bit. And you don't want to cover that up too much, you know, um, because that's how you're going to find the person I think that you're really meant to be with or at least that you're meant to procreate with. Yeah. Um, so in terms of having like a good natural relationship or at least finding that person that's going to, you know, put up with you and, you know your puzzle piece um i would say kind of enjoy and try to enhance your own smell rather than you know covering it too much yeah, um, how much could your scent it, even be you know? getting through if you were using like cologne or perfume and stuff like do you think that people can even smell your personal scent through that yeah i think they can um you know i'm not 
you know, I don't know if this is the right thing to say because I don't want to encourage like all of your listeners not to use deodorant. Um, but I am not a huge proponent of um, deodorant. Antiperspirant, I get. You don't want to sweat through your clothes. But deodorant is kind of like if you wash your clothes regularly, which you should because, you know, the clothes are really what keeps the bacteria. And then once, you know, you sweat on the bacteria, that's really where the smell comes from. I mean, it also happens on your skin, of course, but it happens on your clothes if you don't wash them enough. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, wearing a lot of deodorant and covering up your natural smell, you know, unless you're like eating a lot of spices and meat and like your, you know, sense really overwhelming and it makes you feel uncomfortable, but otherwise, you know, Stuff like that, you know, you don't necessarily need to. I think perfume, because it's a chemical composition and it does tend to change on everyone, it's an enhancement um, to the way you smell. Um, but, you know, I would just keep it in mind, like, you know, everybody smells good. Everybody smells like they should. So it's not something to be embarrassed by or it's not something necessarily to cover up. It's something to enhance. It's like, you know, when women wear heels, is it a lie? Because they're not really that tall or their body's not really shaped that way. No, of course it's not. It just, you know, makes you potentially um, more sexy or more attractive to someone else or yeah. to yourself. You know, perfume is the same thing. Yeah. And after talking about all this, I feel like if you're listening to this and you're single, yeah, like stop wearing deodorant and stuff. And maybe you can like get to the bottom of like, who's the person I'm like really meant to be with, you know, that we, that we should, we should create some sort of like app for uh, like sti- app, stinky exactly. people meetups. Like, like no one wears any sort of like, they barely wash their clothes. Like they, you know, they don't shower at all. Then everyone meets up and like sees how each other smells, you know? Well, that's why I don't really get like, I mean, I guess, you know, online dating is such a huge industry and I have a lot of friends that have met online and have super successful marriages and our children, whatever, but I don't get it. Like I could never even consider going on a date with someone that I haven't smelt yet. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I have to smell you first, you know, otherwise I don't even know if I want to like sit down and have a meal with you. Totally. <laughs> So it's really funny because the same way that I feel like, uh, like a lot of, uh, I have another theory about the fact that you're like, you're attracted to yourself, like no matter what, everyone's attracted to themselves. So like, that's why so much of the time couples like look somewhat alike, you know, people always like, oh, you guys could be like brother or sister. It's like, well, that's because there's a part of me that's like, uh, you know, attracted to myself. So I, you know, I'm attracted to girls that look like myself. That's not me. I'm saying this is like everyone. So anyways, uh, the other day I was hanging out with my sister who doesn't live near me we were like on vacation together and i'm growing my hair out right now and it's like super curly and and dry and stuff so like i i can't really shampoo it because of how like curly it is and so i haven't shampooed my hair for probably like three weeks and my sister was right behind me and she like rubbed my head and then she smelled my hair and she's like oh man your hair smells so good like what is that and i was like dude i haven't shampooed in like three weeks and she's like what she's like oh i can't believe i just smelled your hair but it's funny that she that she my sister like someone who shares my genetics thought that i smelled really good when i haven't shampooed in three weeks you know maybe you just you've been eating a lot of i don't know like pineapple and it's coming out through the oil in your skull good point good point totally totally Um, but also she shares your dna yeah that's my point that was the point of that story was the sharing dna part yeah exactly so she probably does think you smell good yeah i love that everything's just so deep and crazy um all right so let's go ahead and finish this thing up if you could give us all some advice for how to kind of deepen our connection to our sense of smell, maybe some like activities that we could do this week or just things that we can notice when we're out for a walk. Cause as we've said several times, like 
for most people, scent really sits on the back burner. It's not something that they're paying attention to. So I guess what advice would you give people to, to pay attention to more and everything? Yeah, I would say, you know, the easiest way to pay attention to your sense of smell is when you're cooking or when you're eating, um, you know, realizing, you know, you know, smelling the food before you put it in a salad or smelling the food before you start cooking it and then seeing how the how it changes when you put it in your mouth and you taste it um, or just, you know, smelling the people around you. You know, there's not all good smells around you, but, you know, it's almost irrelevant if something smells good or bad sometimes. It's still going to trigger a memory or an association with you. Um, so, you know, just smelling the things around you and seeing how it makes you feel. Um, it's an interesting exercise. Often I went, you know, I'll talk to someone and they come back to me a few weeks later and they're like, I'm so turned on now. Like, I'm so turned on to my sense of smell. I feel like I'm living in a whole new world, that there's all of these things around me that I never realized before um, because I'm smelling everything all the time. And sometimes it's a good, you know, in some moments it's good, in some moments maybe it's not so good, but it's it's just, you know, being more awake to life around us. And inherently that's just really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, cooking is the easiest way to do it. But then you just see environments you already live in. Um, you know, smelling them, smelling your laundry detergent again, you know, smelling your partner, smelling your kids. And hopefully you um, like it. What if you smelled your partner and your kids and you hated it? Oh my God, that'd be awful. Well, I don't think you can smell your kids and hate it because they, like I said, they have a lot of your DNA, just like your sister does. Right, right. Um, half of it. Um, your partner, I mean, you know, it's interesting. If you guys are fighting a lot, it might make you mad. Um, and that's an association that hopefully you can break. Um, and but hopefully when you smell your partner you just remember how much you love them and why you guys got together in the first place yeah or if you smell them and you don't like it mm-hmm. you do this whole practice maybe then you know all right next time it's their birthday or christmas i have got to get them some perfume or cologne or something <laughs> or maybe you want to change their diet who yeah. knows or yeah they good, point. Change their diet, good point good you know? point totally what we eat ultimately changes the smell of our skin um and that's really what we're noticing the pheromones that you know, help us connect with, you know, procreating those we can't actually smell um, or smell in the same sense as we can, like, you know, um, how we consciously associate um, smells in our minds. So, but you can change, you know, your diet and it'll change the way you smell. Not yeah. necessarily who you're going to procreate with, but, you know, <laughs> how your partner smells you. Yeah, <laughs> a for sure. Level. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Don, this has all been so interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank you for inviting me. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys